Welcome, Welcome back, back to, to that, that Rugby Union podcast. You are joined yet again by myself, Luke, and my co-host, Husey. Husey, how yes. are we? 2023, the world, the hopes, the dreams, it's all aspiring this year when you start off and you've, you're building to something with some purpose, a Rugby World Cup year. Yes, amazing to, to think about. Um, it's good to be back on the podcast as well. I understand you had someone filling in for me uh, a couple of weeks back on the last podcast we did, I was sick as everyone knows. So um, yeah, um, I understand you had someone who filled in who was quite popular. So that was, that was good. You're um, told, yeah. I've, yeah. I've told, a devilish handsome version of you. That's what I got told. A, a really disgusting, grody looking. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. Good to be here in 2023 and already 2023 is providing some, uh, some good talking points for, for rugby without even the game played here in the Southern hemisphere. And it's not just used out of the Northern hemisphere either. There's some, some big news here out of the Southern Hemisphere. Definitely. And I mean, we're going to touch on a bit of that. And I posed a bit of a question to our followers on Instagram. So if you're not on our Instagram, get on our Instagram because we love to interact there about the, uh, I guess, the future of Super Rugby and how to get it to its best and what we should be diving into. So we'll touch base on that as well and then finish with a, a fun little question um, to kind of finish off. But let's kick off with kind of the big news, I think, in Australian rugby at the moment. It's, it was the Eddie Jones sweepstakes towards the end of last year. Obviously, Australia chucked their head in the ring, but as Eddie's now come out and said he's no assistant coach, and as Dave Rennie's come out and said, look, it's a Rugby World Cup year. We're nine months away from a Rugby World Cup kicking off. We don't have time to be fluffing around. We'll probably sorting out if Eddie Jones is coming on board or not. So in the end, I am... I guess not disappointed for either decision. Like it's not all Australian rugby could do was put their hat in the in the race and go, you know, like Eddie, it's, there's the office here. If you want to join us, if not, it's not the end of the world. We we back Dave Rennie uh, to take us to this rugby world cup at least. Exactly, and I think that's that's a really good stance for them to have taken. Is that Dave Rennie is the is the head coach going into this world cup? That's who we're sticking with. Confidence in him. Um, and you know, there's an offer for you to hop on the moving train, but the train is moving, uh, and it's not slowing down or stopping for anyone, even you. Um, and I think that's the right stance to take. Um, and yeah, look, momentum is building here in Australia and with the Wallabies, uh, people are getting healthier day by day, the likes of Karevi, Korobedi, Cooper. So, uh, it is a, it is, uh, the, the pressure is on Rennie now to deliver. But it's not on him that in the way of like what it was like for Eddie Jones at the end of last year that saw him get sacked. It's not like, you know, if you don't perform well in the the opening tests of this year, you're going to get sacked for the World Cup. It is the World Cup is what matters. That's everything that we're going to be judging on. Um, and I think that's if he has a strong showing in the World Cup, it'll be his choice whether he stays or not. Of course, we've seen the news uh, come out that he's been possibly linked to a job in Japanese rugby. Uh, but he's, I think, recently sort of shut that down and said, I'm just focused on the World Cup. I think that that has to be Australian rugby's thought process at the moment is this Rugby World Cup, and then obviously we've got, you know, lives to the Rugby World Cup, Women's Rugby World Cup. So to think of after that, we've got our plan to, to, to do after that, and it should be Dave Rennie's fault. This is, in my eyes, all this is Rugby World Cup is going to be is Dave Rennie's legacy. Like, yeah. say, say Australia make it to the final, Dave Rennie looks like a good coach. Say they get bundled out, it's not the end of the world for Dave Rennie's legacy. Like, obviously, 
don't want that. I don't think they'll get bundled out at like a the pool stage, but maybe like let's say the quarterfinals. It's not like that's the worst thing that's ever happened to Australian rugby. But it's obviously he, it's just he's been another coach that stepped into that role that hasn't performed well enough. Kind of, you know, just another one we, we can go along the list that hasn't hasn't done the job as well as a, a checker or back to the glory days of the early two thousands. So. I think this is a, a legacy builder. I don't see him staying on after the Rugby World Cup. I know he said, and came out and said that's his main focus, which is, I think, every rugby coach should be doing. I just think Australian rugby will look at it after this Rugby World Cup, even if he leads him to a title and, and wins them the Rugby World Cup. I don't think, I can't imagine Dave Rennie really wanting to stay there much like he's achieved. Other than maybe saying, look, I want another shot at the Bledisloe. Like, say you lose the Bledisloe this year and he wins the Rugby World Cup and goes, look, there's still this one nagging thing of me and it's that Bledisloe maybe coming back. But if he wins the Rugby World Cup with the Wallabies, it's a job done, basically, to me. And I go, you know what? I've just won the Rugby World Cup. Not only... Have I done that and achieved that? My paycheck for whatever club I'm signing with has just gone up, you know, a couple of extra zeros made at the end of the contract because he's just led this team to a Rugby World Cup uh, victory. So I, I see a lot of positives, I guess, for both sides. Like it's a really good position to be in in Australian rugby because there are a lot of good coaches out there at the moment, not on the international scene, that you can say, hey, you're going to have the chance to play four years, build a team, build your patterns, for a Rugby World Cup in Australia to make a real shot to build your case, I guess, for to be the, the, the head coach of the uh, Wallabies for a long time. I think, like, and Dave Rennie as well, to be able to step away, I think this works out. It's, it's, a, it's the perfect storm of really good for both sides. Yes. Yeah. Uh, look, I can only hope that what you say is true and he does lead the Wallabies to a World Cup. <laughs> uh, that's but hey, here we are. Different sides. I'd be really interested in, in saying that, like I said, there were a lot of coaches out there. Ronan O'Gara is one that comes to mind. Everyone knows Scott Robinson, Razor from the Crusaders, is probably the two best coaches. They took the Barbarians and they've got a really cool documentary on the rugby pass um, out at the moment. That's fantastic if you haven't really watched watch of that. But you can just tell they're two of the brightest minds in rugby at the moment. Uh, and they're going to probably be on the market. Uh, Robinson signed a one-year deal for Super Rugby. So after the Super Rugby, after the Rugby World Cup, his name will be in a lot of teams' hats, I imagine. And it's funny because if you look at all the international jobs going at the moment, South Africa, uh, don't, you know, they, they, they keep it pretty internal there, coach. I don't think we'll see much movement there. England have just gone and given a five-year deal to, to Borfoot, so we won't see that. Gatlin's come back for Wales. I don't see him moving anytime soon. The work, the, the work of uh, Townsend in Scotland, I don't see movement. Farrell, maybe. You could probably make an argument if he doesn't succeed that well at the World Cup. Um, Farrell at Ireland isn't moving anywhere. And then the French, the way they've been going. So I go, you know, the All Blacks and the Wallabies may have the two hottest coaching positions going after this World Cup. Yeah. If New Zealand fails and if Australia does decide to move on for Dave Rennie or Dave Rennie does decide to move on, I go, man, those are two really hot coaching opportunities, both for different reasons. Obviously, the All Blacks aura um, will be a, a massive drawing point, but also what future holds for Australian rugby, and especially the, the next six years. It's hard, yeah. it's hard not to look at that and go and get excited, I guess. Yeah, it's a, it's a real opportunity to leave your mark on the game of rugby this upcoming period, what a coach could do with the Wallabies this upcoming period. So 
uh, yeah, look, and there's the if Darren Coleman has another big year in Super Rugby, could ver- I would very much like to see his name uh, put up there as well because he seems like he's got what it takes to to really uh, bring about significant change and get uh, he's he's gotten the Waratahs sort of back to back to relevance and back to where they where they used to be and hopefully can achieve some even greater results this year. That's what we need out of the Wallabies as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. Colin, Colin is having a good year, and the, the squad he's, he's, he's been able to build. It's a, it's a very chick-esque story, isn't it? Like, yeah. uh, you saw what he did with bringing some big-name players in. That's what Coleman's done after a first good year. I could see if they, you know, do really well this year, and then he steps into that Wallabies coaching role. You can see what Australian rugby could be looking at as a as a Chica 2.0 type thing. Um, with Chica, again, another co- great coach in Argentina, not likely to move, although I did see a story of a potential NRL move for him, which I don't think would go amiss coach Lebanon at the Rugby League World Cup. So, look, it's, it's going to be interesting to coach in carousel, I think, after this Rugby World Cup, what goes down, who's still around. It will depend, obviously, a lot on results. But when the All Blacks eventually do win it, and, and as, we, as we discussed it, Probably meeting you in the final and beating you in the final. Um, Losing to us in the final, I think that's what we decided on. <laughs> I think you decided on that. Talking about the All Blacks, Brad Webber is a player on the tips of sometimes in New Zealand rugby because he is one of the many that are looking to probably leave after the Rugby World Cup and make that money. And I think after every World Cup, New Zealand rugby goes through this a little bit like an exodus of players leaving because the aura of the black jersey so much, the aura of the black jersey and the rugby world cup is, is you know, orgasmic for some New Zealand rugby players. It is the be all and end all of their rugby careers. So is, what you're saying is, is that it's orgasmic for New Zealand rugby players. You guys didn't even make the final last year. So what you're saying is New Zealanders... We did Well, it's the last, well, last World Cup, sorry, I should say. No, uh, yeah, <laughs> but, but you just said it was orgasmic for you. It wasn't orgasmic for me as a Wallabies fan. But, I mean, I guess we you, you're probably used to finishing before reaching the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> is that where you were going with it? I see yeah. that. That was nice. Yeah. nice I'm glad I interrupted you so you didn't get that away as smoothly as, as you would have liked it. <laughs> yeah. Well, neither do you. So. <laughs> <laughs> From reports I've been hearing. Yeah. No, but what we are saying is after our World Cups, we do, yep. the All Blacks tend to lose quite a lot of talent. I think this may potentially be the biggest loss of talent we have ever just with the amount of money they've thrown around in Japan, yeah. with the age bracket of this team currently. Um, it'll be really interesting how the New Zealand, I guess, team goes from there. And I know Brad Webber wasn't a big part of the All Blacks make-up this year, didn't even make that end-of-year tour, but he has been a foundation in the All Blacks, played enough games to deserve, I guess, a bit of recognition in his ability and say, look, if we lose him, Shannon Frizzell, Richie Moana. We already know, you know, that's three or four really good ones. Odin Barrett has already asked for an exemption to play, so chances are he'll do something overseas. We know Adi Sarvia um, is doing a gap year, so we know all of the things like that are coming. I guess it's going to depend on who is out. I imagine this is Sam Whitelock's last World Cup. He's 35. Uh, if, he, if he marches on to 39, it'll be very Brad Fawn-esque. Um, type durability, but I can't see that happening. So I imagine he'll take some big money in Japan. And the fact that the Japanese just absolutely love 
loving, loving rugby, rugby at the moment, moment loving the talents. It's not, not too, too far, far for the New Zealand Australian rugby players to come back home. It's a, yeah, it's a massive uh, draw card at the moment. So will be really interesting to go along with the coaching carousel is the player carousel that comes from the Rugby World Cup and where players head. What that will do is, I guess, add dimension to Super Rugby this year, what teams are looking at. Um, and I said it in our last one to watch was Xavier Rowe from the Chiefs, who is their backup halfback. With Brad Webber potentially leaving, he won't be with the Chiefs from next year. So do the Chiefs go, well, look, as much as we want to win a title, we also need to prep for the next four years as well when we have this guy playing. So we'll be interesting to see how Super Rugby going, but I'd love to get onto that topic. Because what I kind of put out to the world was, look, Super Rugby's not at its peak. It's definitely not at the dip of it was probably pre-pandemic. Um, and I, as I said in the post, it was one of the few competitions in the world that probably was a little bit benefited from a pandemic, which sounds really weird. It didn't fully, and like numbers-wise, probably not and no, dollar signs, but it forced a ch- it forced a shift. It forced change into it. It, you know, a lot of leagues did what they could to just get through the pandemic and then get back to normal as quickly as possible. Um, and there are a few businesses like that as well. But in, there has also been businesses that have just been transformed. Uh, and in fact, a lot of the businesses have been transformed, and the whole world has been transformed by COVID. You know, working from home, things like that, different innovations. And that's what Super Rugby has had to do. And I think it's given them a bit of an appetite for innovation and seeing that, you know, just staying the course isn't the the best path. You know, you as scary as change can be in taking a risk, sometimes you've got to do it to survive. Totally, yeah. And, I mean, that's, that is a big thing, and I think that you, you worded it perfectly. It was kind of forced change that was has worked out for the better, I think, from where we were and where we were going. But I kind of – I posed the question to our followers uh, – like, how do we get back to where it was in those early 2000s where you had just crowds turning up, players wanting, you know, to play and put on the jersey? And being, I would say, the premier competition of world rugby. Um, because I would look now, and from watching the European um, Cup Championship, the Heineken Cup, uh, and watching the URC with the South African teams in it, I would say the URC is probably the premier club competition. Even yeah, with the South African clubs inside. With the South African, yes, South African clubs in there. Again, take them away, I don't think so, but with those South African clubs in there, even compared to the French, the top 14, purely because I think there is so much more depth in that URC of players. Like, there is just talent galore playing in that competition at the moment, whereas top 14, you have about four or five good sides and then, and then the strugglers. So... I'm really interested to kind of see how do we get Super Rugby back to, to the top. And it was interesting. I put in the, in the little image, and I'll probably put the image over Cusie's face so we don't have to look at him anymore. Um, <laughs> is like draft, do we need to look at like an NFL draft type thing? Do we need to get some hype that way? Expansion, do we want to expand more? I know we went to 18 and it didn't really work. Um, or just commitment and, and is, is commitment and just saying, look, we'll stick to Super Rugby. We'll be like this for a while. I am I am releasing a video. Get onto our YouTube. I'm releasing a video on Saturday or Sunday for how I would do it and what I would set up Super Rugby like to make it successful. But for now, I'm just going to run through kind of some of the points that our followers on Instagram have gone through and let's just discuss that. So a draft was was quite favoured. I think there was a draft system would work really well. What um, someone, uh, one of the commentators said, and I'll 
get the name um, and probably do a post about this later. But he said a draft system works really well, but also if we did a salary cap system, which there is already a salary cap system in place, we just don't hear much about it. But a salary cap system and where you got exemptions for if a high draft pick came through your ranks but didn't play for you. So say, you know, let's go with... Sonny Bill Williams, the next Sonny Bill Williams is coming up, has come through the Waratahs, you know, factory, he's come through his youth systems, played under 16s, played under 18s, decided, I would love to see a, hey, you can decide to declare for the draft or you can sign on, so you don't actually have to, you could sign a contract pre-draft, so it wouldn't be necessarily all the best prospects if they already sign on, but again, let's say for this argument, it's just anyone yeah, under age 18, goes into the draft, say he gets drafted, then the Waratah system, because they've brought him up, would get salary cap dispensation. Now, there'll be lots of other ways we can do this, like I just discussed there. Your thoughts on that? I what, your yeah, I, I, I could, yeah, I was just thinking about that because there are some, because I think a draft could work, but not just a pure draft like what we see in American uh, football or even like AFL. What I'd love to see with a draft is that, if you have, because it is important to develop players as well, and these clubs at the moment are the development pathways. I think what clubs should be able to do is you can have a one or two player uh, thing where you can sign them on before the draft, but you forfeit your draft pick for that player. So, say for example, um, like you said, we'll call this player John Smith comes from the Waratahs ranks. The Waratahs have got, you know, so uh, they've got the, they've got, we have several rounds of draft, say. They've got, NFL draft's got seven rounds, let's say seven. Yeah. You know, they've got seven draft picks. They really want this player. They have to forfeit their first round draft pick in order to sign this player. Um, uh, and so that means you won't be able, you might not be able to draft all the players within your own system. Um, uh, but you can at least secure that one player that you think, okay, this guy, he's needed. Um, and then I think as well, there's got to be a, a it's got to be a, it needs to be decided a cutoff point of when someone is draft eligible, right? Yeah. So then they can't play for the Super Rugby clubs before that, which might cause some issues because we do get some young blokes playing Super Rugby, but it might need to be, and but then maybe that sets up a, a another competition where we have the under 21s or the under 19s competition or something get that more formalized and then that is a is a preview for teams to go out and look at film and say okay who are we targeting in the draft things like that so on and so forth so i think there is definitely value to be found there but i think as well you need to reward the clubs for developing a player more than just salary cap because salary cap helps to a certain point but players at the end of the day are the one that get the the job done so i think that um where you can forfeit a draft pick. You can forfeit up to a maximum of two draft picks and to secure two players pre-draft, um, which might then, you know, that might be the norm. All the clubs might do that. But I, I would find that doubtful because, uh, you know, there are some areas where there's not much development, say like the Western Force, Moana Pacifica, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then maybe that helps address the imbalance there and things like that. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And I like that idea, idea. Um, of the forfeits because... It will value, yes, what, if you value the ones you've got in your system, you're obviously probably going to give up um, 
your picks, and especially if you're a successful team, let's say the Crusaders win the title, so they're picking 12th, it gives them more of a reason to take a risk on someone they've got to hold on to them, whereas maybe if you're the Western Force and you're picking first, or the Fiji and Dura picking first, um, you would more likely take a, take a swing on and I tell them that you see. It will also have to be interesting because you'd also have to continue to keep quoted with like the Fijian Dura would need a certain number of Fijian players and that Wine Pacifica need a certain number of eligible players there. But again, as long as, again, there would be a whole set we'd have to set up. But the draft was well taken. Um, along with the draft, expansion was quite highly... Yeah pushed um, and requested. So it's interesting, and I think expansion has to be done in the right way. Um, like, as much as and everyone said the Aguaras were great, it just doesn't make a lot of sense with travel time zones and game time zones. Like, I think they were great for the competition as well, and they deserve to be in there. Um, but it doesn't quite work, which is why I like the idea of this Super Rugby Americas that's just started. Um, and if you could build that along with the Super Rugby South Africa, so let's say we had Super Rugby Americas and South Africa combined. So we actually had two Super Rugby competitions. We had Super Rugby Pacific and Super Rugby A for, you know, South America. for South America and South Africa. Um, and then you had that as two competitions. And then we have what we would do would be a Champions Cup of it all would be able to do it there. So we NFL style, NFL style playoffs is what I would like to see. Exactly. Um, Even better, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you have the two two conferences, and then the winner of each conference uh, plays each other in the Super Rugby Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny, funny you say, you say that, that because someone, someone actually said they, they loved the idea of the Super Bowl with a neutral final venue. venue. Yeah, and it's, it's funny, funny because this is obviously quite a hot topic, topic at the moment with the the, the, uh, the, the A League doing yeah, that with Sydney, Sydney and quite a bit of uproar. I'm, I'm not against that. that. Like I, I hate seeing the Crusaders. With the, the idea, idea that they're hosting a, 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 a Super Rugby final when they barely even have a stadium. Like, I get that it probably can't go to Sydney. And what I would like is like two, not, not as in like, if there's two New Zealand teams, it's a bit silly to have it in Sydney. But what I'd like to do is have two announcements. So if we have like an all New Zealand final, it's going to be played at Eden Park. If we have an all Australian final, it's going to be played at Sydney. If it's one and one, then it's going to be played at Sydney. And you just decide pre the year that you have that. And so you have a, a, a location pretty much sorted for whatever games and whatever you're going to get. It does take away a bit from hosting, but I, f- I actually feel like if you can get behind this idea, fans will travel for a grand final. Like, yeah. That's what I think the A-League is missing you, need to, you, you make it exciting, like the Super Bowl announcement. Like, it is a big bidding process almost like the olympics or the rugby world yep. cup kind of thing so yeah that's what you've got to you got to make the whole process uh like an attractive thing yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's an attraction, attraction really isn't it, it? So you're, you're trying to get tourists in there as well you're trying to make it so if an american comes to travel you know like one day we'd probably both love to go to the super bowl like it's not it's not something that even though even it wouldn't matter what two teams are playing ideally Pittsburgh versus the falcons um but if it, if it didn't happen, I'd still be going to the Super Bowl. It's the same thing you want an American going, oh, man, I'm going to the Super Rugby Bowl. Like, it is something you want to build like that. So, yeah. totally agree with you. Halftime show, get yeah, exactly. Stan yeah, Walker just build it up. Yeah. <laughs> Guy Sebastian. Guy Sebastian, man. 
Yeah. Nice submission, sorry. So. Yeah, look, I mean, that, the NRL does it really well with the NRL grand final. Now, that's in Sydney. That makes sense for them uh, to do. It's a little bit less geographically split than Super Rugby, and that's one of Super Rugby's strengths as it is geographically um, split. Um, and, yeah, I think you have – I think, in fact, you have a uh, – yeah, it's hard to do because you've got – you don't know who's going to be – playing in the finals. And in fact, what I would say is, is that it even would to have a neutral final venue, you would even need to readjust the whole final system. And I don't think a readjustment of the whole final system would be a bad shout out either, because what I think is if we take a step back from the super rugby bowl, right with super rugby Pacific versus super rugby SA, you could have just within super rugby itself, the super rugby final, the grand final be, be played between two conferences, the, uh, similar to sort of what we had even during COVID. But <coughs> this time, obviously, it's with crowds. So you would have the Super Rugby AU playoffs and the Super Rugby NZ or Aotearoa. You don't know how to pronounce it. Aotearoa. There you go. Um, <laughs> uh, playoffs, although those two conferences. And then the winner of the conferences play each other. I think as much as I love watching the Australian Super Rugby teams play the New Zealand Super Rugby teams, I think that's a better way to do it rather than the 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 mixed finals where it could be an all Australian final or an all New Zealand final. I actually really like that idea as well. I still think you'd have the Australian and the New Zealand rugby teams play each other. So yes, what you yes, do during the regular season, absolutely. During the regular yeah. season, exactly like you've said it like. And you may get a divisional where you've got the NFC South with you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers making it in as an eight and nine team. You may have an Australian team or a New Zealand team who makes it in who aren't as good as the second Wallabies team, but because of the schedule and everything, yeah, I don't mind that. I definitely could get behind an idea like that where it was clear cut. See, what I'm annoyed with, again, I've looked at the draw here for the Super Rugby 2023, is you play every team once and you play three teams twice. Yeah. And it's meant to be three rivalry games, yeah? Why are the Waratahs not playing the Reds twice? Because you can't tell me that's not one of the biggest. It's the Brumbies, the, the, the Reds are your two biggest rivals. Yeah. And it's not down as well. I get that they played twice last year. But if you're making it, don't call them rivalry games. Like, that's not right. You're not, like, you're playing the Dura. The Dura are not your rivals. Like, I, uh, I just, I was like, that's weird too, bro. Be like, you've missed the boat on that one. Yeah, 100%. I think, yeah, the I think even though there is Super Rugby, Sort of, there's not enough. It's going to sound strange to, to say it. There's not enough division within it, because that is what makes it interesting. Like unless you're going to go for an EPL style league, which I don't think suits rugby, where everyone's sort of all in together, and you get, but then you get the rivalries from the top teams and then the middle of the ladder teams and the bottom of the ladder teams. It's sort of an informal division within there. I don't like that. <coughs> I think you, we need to be more like the the NFL. Uh, uh, and I think even the NRL could benefit from that a little bit as well. But I think Super Rugby AU, it's already got it there within itself with how it's structured with Australian and New Zealand teams, right? I mean, we used to have when South Africa was in, it would be the, the winner of the Australian conference, winner of the South Africa conference, winner of the New Zealand conference, and then the three next highest seeded teams. I look, just, yeah, splitting it, have, as you say, everyone play each other during the regular season. And you don't even need to have all the Australian teams play all of the New Zealand teams during the regular season. I would much rather have every Australian team plays each other twice and then every New Zealand team plays each other twice. Then you play X amount of New Zealand teams and you play you play half the New Zealand conference teams 
and the New Zealand teams play half the Australian conference teams, and then you switch the next year, like sort of what yeah. how the NFL rotates through the divisions. Uh, you get a home game and an away game against each Australian team, and then every year you either get two home games and one away game, or two away games, one at home game. Again, switching with um, all the New Zealand teams. I'm sure there's a way that the schedule makers can work it out. That's what they get paid for. And then you have your finals. There's what six teams in every conference, right? Let's say let's say Fiji comes to the Australian conference, yep. Moana Pacific goes to the New Zealand conference, right? So you have six teams, top um, top four go through into the finals, one versus four, two versus three, play that through, then the winner of Australia conference versus winner of New Zealand conference. Boom. Easy, entertaining, and then each year you just switch between Australia and New Zealand for where the finals held. Like, yeah. and then that way you you get equal exposure in both places. Have Super Rugby afforded better points because if they had I know. after uh, that, oh, oh, yeah. look, oh. it's just it's just that it is just that easy. You know, come up with great ideas, ideas here. Yeah, but yeah, but, yeah I mean, and there's even, there's even if they don't want to full time employ us. Just some season tickets or something like that. You know? <laughs> couple, couple of, yeah, yeah, couple couple of, of um, boxes of beer, we'll be good to go. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the figures the expansion, we could, we, could we could do, do all, all of this with discussing and expand on what we've got. Exactly. Like, like the, 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 someone quite rightly put in there, Townsville could easily host a team. Like You see their support they get for the Cowboys. There's no doubt in my mind they could do it. There's no doubt in my mind if you do it right, you could have two teams in New South Wales. I know... Rumbies have taken a bit of a catchment, but especially out west, you could definitely do it. Um, yeah. I just, I think there's lots of opportunity for that. Even, even sort of further north, like sort of uh, north, north coast, or you could have um, up coast, you have Hunter Valley. Hunter Valley, um, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, hundred yeah. yeah. percent. All of that, they could, we could expand. And the same thing, I think New Zealand team could be doing that. That expansion also moves into someone put the idea two divisions. I know I've discussed this before. We're actually we're a franchise based system. It's franchise based. You've said it. We work better with the American base. So let's really look into that and go American base. But let's I think develop also that why can't we have multiple franchises and they don't actually have to be in the same division? So you've done your one. You've got your six Australian. You've got your six New Zealand that are in the top A division for Super Rugby. Then you have a B division with six teams. Six teams. Yeah. Every, Every single, single year, year, the, the, the bottom, bottom team from team um, from so uh, Australia Division A plays the top team of Australia Division B. Same in New Zealand, and, and you've got now twelve teams, exact same formats. It's just I think there's opportunity to grow like that and have enough talent and make it a really big competition. And the Super Rugby be something really special worldwide. Yeah. I, the only the only issue I have with the with the division system uh, like that like top division, second tier division with promotion and relegation. It's just, I would want to make sure that the Fijian Dura and the Moana Pacifica aren't just going to get relegated and never make it back up to the top league. Cause I think we need to have them in the top league. Um, and that's, that's tricky to, to work around. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I like the idea. Yeah. I, 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 I get, totally agree with you on that. that. I, I think, think what, what you actually see though, though if, if we, we added six, six more teams, teams to Australia and New Zealand, Zealand the, the, the disperse of talent would actually make Fiji and Moana Pacifica. And in my kind of thinking, Moana Pacifica stays there, but I also have a team in Samoa and Tonga. I think you'd base teams out of there as well. So you'd have all of those would be part of it. Again, travel expenses, money, financial, you're going to get all those ticked off. But I think the, the, the talent dispersing would 
bring the playing field a bit closer for everyone. And and you'd see New Zealand. And I don't think the level of rugby would drop that much. Like everyone bitched and moaned about, you know, the Australian level of rugby was bad during that 56 run streak or 48, whatever it was, of losses straight to New Zealand teams. The talent wasn't that bad. It was just... The, the process that Australian rugby was going through. And they've come through the other side, and I see a shitload more talent coming out now where I go, Australia are going to be competitive for the next 10 years as long as they can keep getting it right. Eventually, you'll win the bleed slow. That may not be in the next 10 years. That may be 100 years from now, I'm just saying, because um, 20 years. But yes, there, there, is, there is a lot to look forward to in both of that. What, what else? What, what the, the, the highest, highest actually uh, comment that got it was, was trades, which I think is a great idea. And, and this leads on to my next point, which was ABs and Wallabies can play for either side. So, so like I've said always, Odin Barrett and Waratah's jersey. If you said to him, "Hey, look, you don't have to take the sabbatical. Take a million dollar contract from the Waratahs because the Waratahs are offering it up. Let's say the Parramatta Eels. I don't know Parramatta Squids." for a lack of a better name that I can come up with on the spot, decide to go for him as their marquee player and sign him for a million dollars on a new team. Yeah. Stuff like that, you go, why not? And then he can stay He's in the competition, still playing, developing the talent inside the competition. Like Australia and New Zealand, realistically, it's probably New Zealand need to focus more on working together to get the best because at the moment, if you look at it, we're ranked fourth. You're ranked, I think, sixth in the world. Those European and South African teams, teams are going to pass us by, and if we don't yeah. work together, we'll eventually be eighth and ninth ranked in the world. And looking exactly, back, yeah. where did we go wrong? Yeah, we need to collaborate together. Like we said, hashtag Anzac, hashtag Revenge. Like, <laughs> yeah, get that, get that in there. Stick it to those bloody if me and Europeans. Hughes can do it. Anyone can do it. Surely. Exactly. Right. <laughs> hey, look, we have the perfect poster child in Charlie Gamble as well. Like, it's right there. You know. Um, it's it's it all makes sense. All these last few weeks have all it's all come together and all making sense. Yes, no, I think uh, I think that's good. And in that as well, it, then you don't need to worry about exemptions. Like as long as someone stays within the Super Rugby competition, it doesn't matter if they play for an Australian side or a New Zealand side. If they're within the competition, then um, then uh, they they can still play for their national team. Whatever, don't need to worry about Gitto laws or uh, any New Zealand Barrett laws, whatever they're going to call it. Uh, when you guys stay in place, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the Adi Savia law, uh, uh, but yeah, you can. Uh, I think that's a great idea. Um, I think yeah, going full look, uh, America like an NFL style, and just uh, realizing that these teams of the franchises are for the fans. That's where your fans come from, but doesn't necessarily need to mean that's where your players come from, right? Totally. Um, I mean, one of my favorite all-time Waratahs players is Jacques Botgieter from South Africa. Like, he was fucking amazing. He was so popular. He brought more people into the game, right? Um, so I think I think that's a great idea. And you just really need to have formal structure around what you can trade for, what can be involved in that. Like, really sort of adding more structure to and formalizing more of the game to, and having that accessible to fans as well. Like, that's what is such entertaining about NFL is uh, seeing all that structure and having it be so open and transparent, basically. 100%. Like, yeah, once, once you get the structure down, down once you get it down, down in writing, writing, then you can just market it. And it markets itself. I mean, you know, what was his name? Cliff Kingsbury getting fired today. You know, like, that was on the NFL page. It's just, he's been let go. A coach getting let go had millions of likes. And I know it wasn't like, those likes weren't directed at him being let go, but it's just 
it's content, creating interactions, mental, like what it can do. So, yeah, I, again, you'd have to work out Fiji and Dura, stuff like that, all of that ticking boxes. But you could easily make that work if you're just saying, yeah, anyone in place, anyone can make it work. We're, we're pushing the Pacific even more with, um, you know, opening up a Samoan and Tonga team, all of that stuff. There's a lot I think can happen from what our fans have said and what. Um, what we've, we've come, come up, up with. with. The last well, one, which links well with the NFL, NFL is a bit of fantasy system. I know there's fantasy out there, but, but NRL does this really well. It gets a lot of people hyped. NFL does it even better. It's the biggest thing. Super coach for NRL is like a big one. And I think that works uh, works really well as opposed to like NFL style fantasy. I don't know too much about super coach. I got a bit of an informal education from my cousin a couple of years ago um, where it's just like you pick your lineup. Right, you but you have a certain amount. You have a you have your own salary cap. It's like you're your own manager, um, and then you have to set your squad uh, every week, uh, and you don't pick away from other people or whatever. You just choose the different players. I think that's a great system. I think that's really great for Super Rugby. Um, and then it just depends on how you score it. You know, like they've just got to come up with a solid scoring system for that. Um, you know, like how is um, you know, how are your props going to get points? Yeah. You know? Yeah, but, but definitely, there's, I, there's, I, there's 100% ways to do it. And yeah. I, 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 it's such a big part of NFL and, and even NRL now. I mean, I, mean, I do I do NRL fantasy with a bunch of mates every year. We've done it for the past like six years. And yeah, yeah it just brings it like I would watch a game just to see if my players scoring points rather than actually giving a damn about the result, which in the end, it may not sound great, but it's another aspect to content being created, another aspect exactly. to marketing, another aspect to the game and bringing more fans who may, you know, you've got that little bit of interest. Like before starting fantasy, I've, I've played like four games rugby league in my life from my college back in the day. And again, always been like a, a, a supporter as a watcher, but never really that interested in anything other than just sitting there watching and supporting my sides. But this really got me involved in the game. It was like, I'm watching, you know, the Knights play the Tigers on a, Sunday, Sunday afternoon, afternoon and the pouring down rain and Hunter just, just to watch and make sure that um, this year probably Jackson Hastings is going all right. Like it just, yeah. and then you start to get favourite players. All of you know who my favourite player is because of fantasy, and I always select him. It's Jared Croker because I fell in love with that man. He was he was my version of Artie Savier in, in rugby league. That's how I was attached to him at the hip in my fantasy team, and he doesn't leave it often. Except he's been injured the last couple of years. But again, stuff like that comes, and you just you just like you don't know how it happens, but that just. Like you get caught up in, in all the emotion, and I just think Super Rugby needs that on a better scale. I know there is one out there, I just don't think it's very good. Um, so, yeah, that's, 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 that's all the points that you guys have made. Make sure you check out my video Saturday or Sunday, probably going out on Sunday when I'm finished editing it, um, on what I would do with Super Rugby and how we can fix it, slash how we can set it up for prosperity in the future. Final, Final question for the podcast. podcast. I put, put this in there because um, I was having a think and I went, right, right now in this moment, moment we've talked about, you know, new club expansion. expansion. If you were starting a rugby club, who would be your first signing? Who would be your marquee signing? And I said the Parramatta Squids have signed Bowden Barrett as their marquee signing. But Husey, who would you sign as your marquee signing? Having a think for Alice's, that's code for Luke was stuck in the toilet for a while. Uh, <laughs> if I was starting a club right now, who would be my first signing? Um, look, it's actually a, a, it's actually pretty easy for me. Um, it's Angus Bell. He's very young, but he's very talented. 
uh, rugby clubs are built from the front row, right? Successful rugby clubs are built from the front row. Everyone knows this. Right? <laughs> Why were, uh, you know, one of our top five players this year, I believe, was Ellis Genge. He was the reason for so much of England's success. Um, and it's a, it's a domination in the scrum, but also uh, just uh, hard-hitting forwards. I think it's great. But Angus Bell is, yeah. But the other reason I would say he would be my first signing is because he's so as fantastic off the field as he is on the field. He does incredible uh, work with uh, disabled children and, and things like that. Lots of charitable outreach. And I think that's exactly what you need for a club. Is And this is why I think NRL clubs are a bit more popular than Super Rugby clubs at the moment, at least here in Australia, because they are part of their local communities uh, a little bit more than what the Super Rugby clubs are. Um, and that's what super, that's part of what needs to happen for Super Rugby. But if I'm starting a new club, I need to integrate my myself, my club, into the fabric of the local area. Right. So let's say this is like a Hunter or Newcastle-based team. Um, you know, the... Uh, uh, the the Newcastle uh, not knights <laughs> the, the Newcastle bishops or something like that or yeah. Newcastle rooks right uh, say you're you're starting them up right um, you need to have your team get supporters because bums on seats or uh, whether they're in stadium or seats in front of a TV is what makes money right so you need people to be invested in the team now. One of the paths for that is on-the-field success. He ticks that box. The other path is getting out there and making a difference in your local community. He ticks that box as well. Um, and then he's also young, so you know he's got his best years ahead of him as well. So longevity is a big part of it. Because if I'm starting this club, if I'm making a marquee signing, I want that person to be around. I want that person to be face of the franchise for a long time, right? He would be the person I want to be the face of the franchise for um, a long time because he's young. He's got plenty of rugby left in him. So um, I think all those things, you know, make a positive impact to the community. People become invested in the team. People start watching the team. The team has some success based on the star player. More and more people start watching, and it will take some time as well. And so because he's young, he's got that time, so on and so forth. And Angus. Angus. Uh, all right. Well. My man's going to be probably a little shocked. It's not hard to serve either. I know. It's a surprise. It's not hard. But if I'm leader of the Townsville Crocs, starting off my new team, I'm taking a young player as well, 23 years old. I'm taking the most important position on the rugby field, fly half. Yep, prop. What? Prop. The fly half, the first five. And I'm taking English-born Marcus Smith. As my starter, I think potentially going to be one of the greatest first fives to ever do it if he can keep going on the trajectory he's going. 23 year old, splash signing. I can't speak for his off the field work like Angus Bell because I don't. Well, if his haircut's anything, if his haircut's a judge, but he makes really poor decisions. I can't, I can't judge haircut as well, but rugby ability, he's got it and he's got a lot of it. He's got a lot of flair. We talk about bums on seats. We talk about the Townsville Crocs getting down to the Gator where they watch Marcus Smith beat your Newcastle Bishops by 40 points because he's kicks all the points and runs around Angus Bell. <laughs> you know what, it's well, but I think it depends on your location, right? So uh, Newcastle area is that sort of 
very blue collar mining area, they appreciate probably a front row a bit better. But Townsville, you think about them, who have they been watching for the last uh, decade and a half? Jonathan Thurston, right? Someone in a comparable position with comparable skill set is going to draw more people. They need their, they want their Jonathan Thurston back, right? I think even Newcastle, if you could get someone Andrew Johns esque uh, in there, so like a good, um, good halfback or a good um, first five for them to to play there as well. I think that, that could also go, go well, but I think a, a prop is, would be equally successful there due to the um, blue-collar mentality of the region. But Townsville, they're all showy up there. They need all that flair <laughs> like a Jonathan Thurston. So, so what, what you're, you're saying, saying is once, once we expand, once we, we pitch, pitch the idea and they give us some free tickets to break B, I'll take over Townsville, you take over Newcastle because we've got the general manager part of it. Yeah. We are the GMs. All right? 100%. Love, love it, love it. it. <laughs> yeah, we've got this. Ah, okay, okay, look at us. Podcasters, GMs, and contractors for Super Rugby. We do it yeah. all. We do it Get all on this podcast. Yeah. We know that there are some Super Rugby players out there that follow this page and listen to this podcast. Get into your franchise owners. Get into your Super Rugby representatives' ears. Tell them, these guys on that Super Rugby podcast, that rugby podcast, they've got some good ideas. You need to listen to them. Um, so Couldn't yeah. agree we, more. Could we expect agree we expect emails and calls uh, within a month. <laughs> <laughs> well, the phone will be going off the hook, my friend. Um, that is us for this week. We will be back next week in person to do a kind of a prediction show, a preparation for 2023. Look into it, see what we think is going to happen, make our predictions. Exactly. Tell you what's going to happen. I don't think we're not going to see what's going to happen. We're telling you what's going to happen, and we will go from there. Uh, this week, though, thank you for joining us. We will see you again next week. Goodbye.